The following is a Just Green production brought to you by the Might Be News Network. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Joe Franz for the Novak and Franz Show, and I have a question for you. Have you ever wondered about the possibility of alien life forms in the universe? Are you infatuated with the idea that the Earth might be a daily host to unidentified flying objects? Is there something in you that senses the presence of the paranormal? Well, if the answer is yes, and I'm sure it is because you're listening to us, and we're uh, into that stuff too, as you know, I have some very good news. The first good news is Novak is absent today, <laughs> and uh, the, the, uh, the second good news is we're going to take a departure from our normal subjects to discuss UFOs, aliens, and paranormal activities with three very, very distinguishing guests. We're so happy to have the opportunity to have them join us on the Novak and Franz show. First, filling in for Novak as co-host is Dave Altman. Uh, Dave is a celebrity talent agent who's always been obsessed with the paranormal. He's a consultant for many UFO programs such as History Channels, In Search Of, and more. Basically, whenever they make one of these uh, UFO or paranormal specials, he's one of the first calls that they make. He's VP of the talent agency conventions, etc. He's, he books celebrity appearances for actors and other media personalities, such as Corey Feldman, David O'Leary, who's the writer-creator of History Channel's Project Blue Book. And unfortunately for him, uh, he books the uh, appearances for Novak and I, and I feel sorry for him. Um, he was also a, a close friend of Ryan Dunn, which is why we're lucky enough to have him on the show. And we're not going to stop there because we have two other very esteemed guests, okay? Next on the line, we have... Alejandro Rojas, okay? Alejandro is one of the world's foremost experts in UFO and paranormal activity. He's a radio host for Open Minds Radio. He was the, he's the editor and contributing writer for Open Minds Magazine as well as OpenMinds.tv. His experience includes his position as the director of public education for the Mutual UFO Network. And as a, para, as a UFO paranormal researcher and journalist, Alejandro has invested his entire career in professional field investigation of paranormal phenomena. Uh, his expertise has been chronicled by media organizations around the world, including the largest cable uh, and television network news agencies, highlighted by several appearances on Coast to Coast AM, which I know you love as well as I do. Um, all, third on the line. I told you this was a, this is an all star lineup. Jam packed. Yes, yes. We have Kevin Day from History Channel's Unidentified, and he has an incredible story to tell as a documented UFO eyewitness. Uh, Kevin is a retired U.S. Uh, U.S. Navy Chief Petty Officer who was a Top Gun radar interceptor air controller. Uh, with more than twenty years' experience in Stripe Group air defense and wartime operations. Um, his story is unbelievable to some, believable to others. You be the judge. Yes. In 2004, off the coast of San Diego, Kevin was a radar operator on the USS Princeton as a part of the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group. And over several days, unknown objects were observed from his radar. Okay, This incident was made famous in the New York Times article, which revealed that the Pentagon had a secretive UFO investigation program. He blew the lid off the whole thing. And so with that, gentlemen, we have a lot to unpack. Alejandro Rojas, please start it off. Uh, uh, let's, let's start the process. 
All right. Sounds good. I think you did a good job kind of outlining uh, how this all got started. And there's more and more revelations all the time. Uh, the History Channel's Unidentified is revealing more and more about the background of this uh, secretive Pentagon UFO project and the cases that they've looked into. And what's really exciting, some of you will know that uh, the president actually addressed the whole UFO issue recently. He said he's not really into UFOs, but that he has been briefed and that he's uh, talked to the Navy pilots and he's leaving it up to them. And of course, we've got Kevin Day here and we'll talk to him a little bit uh, in just a second to talk about how he was one of the guys who detected these objects and then scrambled the jets to go take a look at them and the extraordinary things that they found. So uh, also we have news recently that the Navy uh, has modified its guidelines and they're essentially out about taking UFOs more seriously. This is extremely exciting because really for the last few decades, the government uh, and every branch of it has said they don't have anything to do with UFOs. They don't care about UFOs. So finally, this is a kind of a proactive, positive stance they're taking. And why? It's essentially this, this program that you talked about. The Pentagon had this program, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which was investigating UFOs. And it actually arose from, and this is something that a lot of people don't realize, this larger paranormal investigation that was looking into poltergeists, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, portals opening up to uh, alternate dimensions, lots of weird stuff. That essentially got pushed out, and we can talk about that. And it was essentially religious people inside the government who thought that this was demonic. So they were able to at least keep this UFO program going, uh, and they were looking into uh, various military cases. In December 2017, Elizondo uh, kind of did this article with uh, the New York Times, and he had announced in October he was going to be part of this project with Tom DeLong to continue to do kind of civilian uh, public investigation into UFOs. So we didn't hear much for a long time after that. It all broke. We had a lot of news. You know, we had uh, uh, Lou Elizondo, who ran that program, talking to CNN, all of the news stations. We also had uh, in that New York Times article a couple of videos from F-18s where they've captured, the Navy captured videos of what they believe to be these objects. And uh, some of these pilots, or at least one in particular, uh, David Fravor, had come out and talked about his experience essentially chasing one of these things. And, uh, but otherwise, we didn't know a lot. We didn't know about the second video where it came from to the stars, posted a third video. We really didn't know much about it. But uh, what they were waiting for, really, to reveal most of this information was this unidentified television show for the History Channel. So this is where they're kind of rolling out a lot of the information we haven't seen before. And the next episode, the one coming up on Friday, is going to do a couple of really important things. It's going to tell us more about these videos. Essentially, they were captured off of the East Coast, uh, Florida, in 2015, uh, by a couple, uh, by other Navy jet fighter pilots. Uh, and this incident actually had many sightings. It was very similar to uh, what Kevin Day was involved with in 2004 uh, off the coast of San Diego with a Nimitz strike group and a Nimitz aircraft carrier. But uh, we're, this is going to be the first time we'll hear about this, and we're going to hear from some uh, of those jet fighter pilots, at least one of them, and, and they might both be, I'm not sure, uh, active jet fighter pilots. But more than that, at least one of these guys 
we're going to see where they were willing to talk to Congress, uh, to military leadership, and say, hey, this is a serious thing. I've experienced this. And uh, that's what got the ball rolling. That's why we have this news that the Navy's taking it seriously. Uh, they've talked to the president about it. And, uh, you know, that's why we find ourselves in this weird kind of place where the media, everybody's taking UFOs more seriously. And we have the Navy and other groups inside of the government, uh, you know, coming out and saying, hey, this is a serious deal. And we're, we take this more seriously than we let on the last few decades. But Alejandro, I have two questions right off the bat that I'm sure everybody wants to know. Um, first, one could imagine the all of the hidden motivations that a government would have by doing a secret UFO and paranormal uh, investigation that no one else knew about. What are some of the motivations that you suspect uh, they might have had up their sleeves? This is a great question, and there's a, it's a complicated one. And all of this is typically much more complicated than people give it credit for. A lot of us roll our eyes and think, oh, it's a big conspiracy. But it's more than that. Essentially, this program was, this is really weird. So this is how this particular program was motivated. And there's two different reasons. There's, there's how this program was motivated, and then there's why the government would be motivated. Let me get into the second part and why a government would be motivated before I get into the weirdness of how this program actually got started. Governments want to know what UFOs are, of course, because they uh, pose a threat. And uh, they may be just coming here to look. They may be, you know, um, like batteries not included, these cute little friendly aliens or something like that. Who knows? We don't really know. But even if they're friendly, let's say, they're unidentified objects that are in our airspace. And that poses an unknown and a potential threat. That's why a government would want to know. Uh, the other reason they would want to know is because they demonstrate a technology that is beyond ours. So they demonstrate the ability to capture one of these objects and then to learn that technology so that we can have better weapon systems. We mm. know this is a motivation for two different reasons. One, because Lou Elizondo has told us this, the guy who's worked for the Pentagon. Uh, the second is because uh, there's another guy, Nick Pope, who worked for the Ministry of Defense, uh, investigating UFOs. And he said the same thing. This was our interest. Even beyond who's behind the wheel, we want it. We want that tech and we want to build weapons that can do what they're doing. Um, so that, that was a primary motivation, even behind, uh, even above trying to figure out who they are or why they're here. So, so, so that's basically, the military you, would be interested. I see. So it's part insatiable curiosity part for weapons advancement and development, and part uh, to eliminate a threat, uh, such as uh, was depicted exactly. in H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Day will tell you, I mean, Kevin talks about this quite a bit, how the, what they witnessed, what they saw, you know, Kevin's job uh, working on the radar systems as a senior chief operations specialist is to look for any threats. And if we have threats in our airspace that uh, pose a, a danger, then that's a big concern. That's what their job is. And they were finding these things that were in our airspace we couldn't do anything about. But uh, this particular program, the way this one got started, and this is important too, when it, especially when it comes to the conspiracy end of things, 
there was a guy named Robert Bigelow. He's a billionaire, essentially. He started this program, this uh, company called Bigelow Aerospace, and he's now working with NASA and uh, building, you know, pieces to the space station, uh, working on building uh, space bases for the moon and, and even in orbit and stuff like this. But he's had a lifetime interest in the paranormal. And he very early on in the 90s got a group of scientists together, and they've been looking into the paranormal, including UFOs, for, uh, for a long time now. They bought this ranch where there was a lot of weird paranormal activity happening, poltergeist experiences, these weird creatures, just a lot of cattle mutilations, really weird stuff. Well, things kind of died down. Uh, he bought this ranch in the 90s. They did a lot of investigation. They couldn't figure anything out. Essentially, they were having, the scientists were having their own paranormal experiences, but they felt like they were being outsmarted by whatever the phenomena was. Early 2000s come around, activity on this, uh, this ranch dies down. And so uh, a local journalist, uh, George Knapp out of Las Vegas, is able to then get permission to write a book about their investigation, along with the head scientist, Colm Kelleher. They write this book and it comes out and it's kind of a hit. People are like, you know, floored by what's going on here. Well, there's a DIA agent, Defense Intelligence Agency. He sees this and he calls up Bob Bigelow and says, hey, I want to go visit this ranch. Bob rarely allows people to go to the ranch, but this guy's credentials were so uh, substantial that they allowed him to. Uh, he instantly had a paranormal experience. We don't know who this guy is. He's remained anonymous, and they haven't shared what his experience was. But it was so fascinating and personal to him that he went back to Washington, and he went to Senator Harry Reid, the senator for Nevada, and he said, hey, I know you're friends with Bob Bigelow, because Harry Reid was, and they had a, he had an interest in the paranormal. We need to start a program on the paranormal. Uh, investigating this ranch and this paranormal stuff, including the UFO investigations that they're doing. Harry Reid says, you know what? You're right. He goes to some of his fellow uh, uh, Congress people, and he was able to get permission to run this program. He got $22 million to dedicate th towards this program. However, because of the nature of the program, and they knew people would make fun of it, they tried to keep it as secret as possible. So very few knew about it. So that's how the program started. They got $22 million to create this program called the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Application Program to investigate the paranormal. Very quickly, word got out that they created this program, and these religious factions within the government said, no, this is demonic, and they, they attacked the program. Uh, people inside the program decided, you know what, there's no way this program's going to exist. These people just aren't going to tolerate it. Let's create a sub-program on UFOs, and hopefully that will remain because the rest is not going to last. And sure enough, they were right. The program then, the, the main program essentially was closed down, and uh, just the UFO unit existed or uh, still exists to this day. They lost all their funding in 2012, but Lou Elizondo still kept this program rolling uh, essentially when he had time. He, ha he works on terrorists and anti-terrorist type of uh, uh, intelligence. But uh, when he had time, he would work on these UFO cases, and that's how the program continued. And he says when he retired in October of 2017 that someone took over for him. So that was kind of the motivation that Harry Reid had. The reason why this is important when it comes to conspiracies 
is this is a pet project of Harry Reid in the Pentagon. Uh, but it's, these programs are very siloed. The people inside the program, uh, Lou Elizondo included, say they are aware of other top secret projects into UFOs, but they're not aware, besides rumors, of what they're working on or what they're doing. So they have their one program, but they know there are others. Yeah, and, so, and we know... Uh, <clears throat> Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to remind no, the listeners that we know that this is the way our government works, whether it's the CIA, the FBI, um, you know, the, the Pentagon's paranormal research. The way they do their divisions is very separated. That way, the uh, government specialists don't exactly know what their research is for. They just know they're doing research, within, which then gets compiled and cataloged. Um, on a higher level that they are never aware of. That way there's no, um, there's no leaks as far as our national security and secrecy. Compartmentalized. That's a better right. way to say and it. And these agencies <laughs> don't necessarily work together well. I mean, they all are out for themselves. The FBI, the CIA, the uh, Navy, the Air Force, the Army. The Army doesn't share information with the Air Force. Air Force isn't going to share with the Navy. They're going to hoard that information so they can uh, have an edge over everyone else. And they can also then develop these technologies for themselves. So all of these agencies are very competitive with each other and secretive, uh, keeping secrets from each other as well. And earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned a ranch that where uh, there was some kind of it was it was almost it almost seemed like a gateway to paranormal and also alien activities could you describe the ranch a little bit more because though i don't want people to think this is some mythical place that no one knows about this is very well documented stuff it is in fact there's a travel channel show that just aired friday on the ranch uh really good show alien highway a good buddy of mine chuck zukaski stars in it but uh, they examine this ranch and uh, everything going on with that. But you're right. This ranch uh, has been investigated by many people since the 90s, including uh, many scientists. Several of these scientists are now working with Tom DeLong and the two, the stars group and Ella Louise Elizondo, along with some other former high level officials. But some of these scientists had their own experiences. They set up cameras. They tried to do experiments. And like I said earlier, uh, they, uh, they felt that they were outsmarted. In fact, a retired Army intelligence officer, Colonel John Alexander, who uh, works in the defense industry, he coined the term uh, sentient, uh, what was it, uh, a precognizant sentient phenomenon, meaning that it's intelligent but precognitive because it seemed to know what they were going to do before they even did it. So it's called the Skinwalker Ranch. The Skinwalker uh, it's in Ranch, the Utah Winter Base. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm sorry. I and totally. Cut, it, I, I got. I got excited. and I totally cut you off. Could you repeat that for our sleuth listeners who no want to do problem. more research? Yes, it's the Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, if you want to do re- more research, it's always good to read books. So, Hunt for the Skinwalker by George Knapp and Colm Kelleher is a, is a great book to check out. Otherwise, if you'd rather watch a documentary, Jeremy Corbell uh, did created a documentary called Hunt for the Skinwalker. I think it's on Netflix now, too, but you can definitely find it on iTunes. But both of these are really great sources for more information. Wow. 
I've got a lot of stories on all of this at openminds.tv and some interviews, including with John Alexander, uh, George Knapp, some of these people that I already mentioned. And all of us on this call are going to be at the UFO Congress September. You can find out about that at ufocongress.com. But we'll have Jeremy Corbell there, who made the documentary, George Knapp, who wrote the book. And we'll have Kevin Day, who we're going to hear from in just a second, who's on this call. He'll be there as well. And even Dave's going to be there at the UFO Congress in September. Yeah, and ladies and gentlemen, when, when, yep, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, when Alejandro said go to openminds.tv, and there's a ton of information there, he is not kidding. I've been checking it out all week. I mean, with interviews and articles and everything you do, you ever wanted to know to satisfy your curiosity and to point you in the right direction on all your questions, you got to check it out. Openminds.tv. Yeah, thank you very much. And in fact, we get a lot of attention from mainstream media, especially right now, because everybody's scrambling. All of a sudden, UFOs are a serious thing. Nobody's really taken a serious look at them in the mainstream media. So now they're scrambling for legitimate information. And, uh, and you know, luckily, we have a bastion of that at uh, OpenMinds.tv. Absolutely, you do. So where does, so everyone is, is dying. They haven't heard Kevin's voice yet. Our, our eyewitness to to UFO, please. How do we how do we unpack this here? How do we get uh, where, where does Kevin's story come in into all this? Okay, yeah. So in that uh, New York Times story in December 2017, uh, it broke the news that there was this Pentagon program, and as an example for one of the important cases that they were looking into, they used this Nimitz Strike Force uh, example. So in 2014, and we'll have Kevin start up it here in a second, uh, the Nimitz Strike Group, which is, you know, an aircraft carrier doesn't travel by itself. It's got a whole entourage of ships. And Kevin uh, was working on the radar ship, and he started getting some weird things on uh, radar. So maybe, Kevin, you can take it from here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show, by the way. Oh, thank you so much for making yeah, the time. The coast. Yeah, absolutely. We were off the coast of San Diego in 2004, not 14. Um, and we'd re- received orders to deploy a little early. So we we're out there trying to get a lot of training done. And, um, I'd been watching these objects on the radar. They were appearing right off, the uh, right off of Catalina Island up by LA. And the weird thing about them is they, w- <clears throat> they weren't on a com air route or anything like that. <clears throat> they were appearing in groups of five to 10 at a time, tracking real slow to the South, about a hundred knots, which is real slow at 28,000 feet. And they would, they would appear in groups. They would track all the way down off the coast of Baja. And then uh, uh, several hours later or so, another group would appear and would do the same thing. Now, at the time, I didn't have any aircraft on the aircraft carrier because they were still on the beach. Um, and I was just waiting because I really wanted to intercept one of these things. I was just waiting for the right moment. And that moment came. We were going to do an 8X. It was on the, um, the uh, 14th of, of November. And right before then, uh, Captain Smith comes down to CIC and I said, hey, sir, you know, we've been watching these things on radar and absolutely nobody knows what these things are. And I have no ID for them. And I highly recommend, strongly recommend that we intercept one because if I put a bunch of our aircraft in the sky and we run into one of these things, someone's going to be wondering why we were so damn curious about it. And he said, you know, right, you're right, Senior Chief, take, take one of the aircraft and go look at it. And so that's kind of how that transpired. It was a pretty um, pretty boring intercept up until he got to what we call the merge plot position, which is basically two objects in the same vertical piece of sky. And on a, 2D, on a two-dimensional display, it looks like one contact now. 
And as soon as that that happened, that that object um, dove from twenty eight thousand feet down to the surface of the ocean. And I was looking at the data reduction the next day. It was in less than a second, actually 0.78 seconds it made that maneuver. Um, it turned out to be Commander Fravorsight. He chases it down to the water. And that thing, when he got down in the um, visual arena with it again, it popped back to 28,000 feet in 0.78 seconds again and continued going south as if nothing interesting had just happened. Okay, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's this is crazy. Okay, hold on. I got got a lot of questions for you, Kevin. Okay, visually, I want people to understand what's going on here. Okay, so you are part 2004. It's the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group, and you're on the USS Princeton, which is an aircraft carrier. Is that what it is? It's a guided missile cruiser. A guided missile cruiser with a spy one radar. Yeah, we, we were the air defense commander for the strike group. And what does the strike group look like? If you were to describe what the strike group looks like, how, how would you do that to our listeners? Who have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, you know, about. a typical strike. Yeah. Hey, typical strike Ke- group Kevin, Kevin, sorry, this is Dave. Sorry, it's Dave. Yeah. Um, did, uh, or, or France, did you ever get a chance to check out the documentary on YouTube, The Nimitz Encounter? Yes, I did. Yeah, but I'm, okay, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to... I'm, uh, I'm, t- I'm trying to, I, I know what it looks like, but I'm trying to get our audience to picture it in their right. head. I, I just want to suggest, <laughs> suggest that, you know, obviously, yeah, well, you know, I want Kevin to, to give the best description. If people really want to get oh, a good oh, visual, yes, go ahead. after they listen to this, they can go search on YouTube, search the Nimitz Encounter, and there's a 30-minute a, a documentary that our good friend Dave Beatty made uh, it's got over over a million views, and and you'll be able to get a really good visual of of the, the whole thing. But we'll let Kevin tell tell it, you know, from his point of view. Awesome. Yeah, a typical strike group will have a, obviously have an aircraft carrier, and then it's going to have your air defense commander, which is usually um, an Aegis uh, type cruiser, and then it's going to have um, two or maybe even three smaller ships called uh, DDGs, Arleigh Burke, and they all have a spy radar. And we'll have a supply ship with us generally that comes and goes and brings us supplies. And there's probably a submarine with us that no one knows anything about the whole time. And in addition to that, we have the air wing, you know, the, all the airplanes on the, on the uh, aircraft carrier. And we you're the sitting there group. and you're sitting there in front of the radar and you're, and you're, what, what is it that you went out there to look for? You're just looking for military defense stuff to see if, I don't know, the Russians are flying into U S airspace, that kind of the thing. Mm, no, we were out there in our <clears throat> in a military um, practice area where we go out and, um, and do exercises. And it's a, it's a restricted uh, flight area. In other words, they have a notice to air navigation, and it goes out, and they tell people to stay clear of the area if you're a pilot. And we were getting ready to do an air defense exercise, and I and right before that, I started getting all you know a couple of days before that, I started getting these weird contacts, and then I was I was concerned about safety of flight more than anything else at least publicly, but internally with myself, I was thinking in my head, you know, I've, you know, 18 years of looking at these damn radar and I've never seen anything like this. I want to intercept one of these things. Wow. Maybe it's even a UFO. I was thinking to myself. Wow. So this is normal every day. That's what it was. So this is normal everyday flight exercises that the military conducts on a daily basis. You're not out there looking for anything out of the ordinary that, uh, to, I mean, you know, you're looking for stuff that would interfere with 
the, the, the flight exercise. And then you're seeing these blips that are, that are uh, breaking the rules of physics like nothing that you've ever seen before. Well, Kevin, oh, man, that's, that was, that's an incredible story. And I can only imagine how much it would pump you up, how much it, it would excite you and, and, and make you, I, I, I don't know, it would jar a guy like me to look at the radar on a normal flight exercise and see a blip on the radar screen that breaks every law of physics known to mankind. And I know you have to go. I know your time is very limited and you have another meeting. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know, Alejandro, what's your takeaway on this? Well, yeah, what's incredible, there's a couple of things. There's even some of that precognitive uh, sentient phenomena going on here. Uh, what happened, you know, like you said, Commander Fravor went down to chase this thing. Uh, he sought above some water that was uh, boiling is how they described it. They felt like maybe there was something under the water. The water looked, it was described by others, as if a submarine maybe had just gone under. Uh, but uh, they don't know what turning. that was all about. Right. It was turning these sort of descriptions. Then the object, uh, as he went towards it, moved, and it seemed like they, it knew that Fravor was coming at it, uh, and it started to maneuver. Fravor did this kind of curve uh, maneuver, and it followed that maneuver. And then finally, when Fravor tried to get in front of it, it just took off, boom, extremely fast, and was gone. They couldn't find it, and then uh, later on, they did find it on radar, and they said, you're not going to believe this. It's at the cap point. And what a cap point is, is a place in the air where essentially all the jets are going to get together and, and join up. And what's strange about that is, you know, out of all the, the in amount of space out there, tons of space out in the ocean, it, for some reason, reappeared where they were going to be meeting up later in that day. How it knew that, we don't know. Really weird phenomena to the pilots. They really took that seriously and felt that somehow this object knew what they were going to do again before before they did sort of thing. Yeah, uh, the, the 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 cap point is is on a very very highly in, in, encrypted channel that changes like every what is it every couple of seconds, Alejandro. I'm not sure uh, of all of the procedures behind it, but right, it does change because for security reasons, you know, uh, they don't want people to know where that is. And of course, you don't want that enemy to know, especially because this is typically being used in an operation against an enemy. Uh, so it was really weird. In this case, uh, by the way, the enemy were uh, some Marines and others. This was a training exercise, what they call a blue-red exercise where there were two groups that were kind of fighting against each other in a mock type of battle. What were the chances so, yeah, that really, this could have... Really, Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, oh, I mean, your average person is going to be listening to this, is it, at this, and they're going to say, you know, what if this can be explained by another phenomenon that's not paranormal or supernatural or, you know, that qualifies as, as, right. as something other, right? Suppose someone says, oh, what if it... 
you know, it could have been an electrical field putting a blip on the radar. It could have been um, an experimental military aircraft. It could have been, um, you know, an electrical current such as uh, Aurora Borealis with there's a high electrical field in the air, you know, some kind of atmospheric conditions. What do you say to the people who have that kind of counter well, theory? Well, one thing that Kevin, you know, unfortunately didn't mention because he had to go was that him and another uh, crew member, computer guy that worked with him, uh, Gary Voorhees, actually witnessed the object through binoculars. So, you know, it's, yeah, and what, what we haven't said is the description of the object, which I'll let Alejandro get into. Uh, maybe he can describe the the tic tac for you. Please yeah, do. Yeah, and this is this is a crazy aspect. It's what Fravor saw, and, and others as well. Some of the other pilots. Um, one of the pilots, his wing woman, essentially, the, his wingman was a pilot. Was in the other F eighteen was a, a woman pilot who remains anonymous, but she is in the first episode of Unidentified, and she talks about this as well. But what they saw was a forty foot long smooth white object that they said looked like a giant tic-tac. So it was kind of lozenge 40 shape. feet long. Yeah, 40 feet. Huge. And uh, I've been there. Uh, I I don't remember if you were in Oregon, Dave, but uh, Captain Fravor, or Commander Fravor was there, and we were asking questions about this. And they were asking, how confident are you that this was 40 feet? And he says, you know, I'm a jet fighter pilot. That's one of the things that we do. Uh, I know the size of an airliner, and I can fairly decently estimate distance. I could estimate the distance to the ground or to where the water was below me. So I'm very confident that I'm very skilled in being able to make these estimations, and I think I'm pretty right on with his 40 feet. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, just, you know, these yeah. pilots, they're, they're, they're the most, you know, high, highly skilled observationist-type people that you can imagine. You know, that's their, their job, what they're trained for. Yeah. You, know, you don't, you don't just become a, a pilot like that. You know, they're trained observers. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've done television shows where I had to produce out on the, on the water and it's amazing what even you can do on that level with a captain looking at another craft, um, with binoculars. They know, they know approximately, you know, how far it is, what the size is just from a glance through experience. So absolutely. I mean, that's what he's trained to do. But how, man, I, I, I just, I, I'm not, this is just incredible. How could it fly without wings? What, what is the, what's the theory? It, 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 it did have on the bottom of it, I believe it did have some small appendages. There weren't wings, but they, they, they were like antennas or something. Yeah, like these two little—I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how big they would be. I would just say maybe three feet. You know, if you're looking at forty feet, they had two little uh, flanges on the bottom. I don't know what they were use, you know, what their use was. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, as far as as far as how, you know how how they're how they're uh, propelled, I mean, that that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah, we really don't know. There's I mean, an organization called the uh, Scientific Coalition of UAP Research. Uh, and they did an investigation. It's mostly a bunch of uh, tech guys or scientists. And they did a paper on this incident. And uh, they estimated that this object went, you know, at these extreme speeds and G-forces 
anywhere from like 40, 50 Gs. These are huge numbers. An F-18 aircraft will begin to disintegrate at 6 Gs, uh, definitely at 16 Gs, it's toast. So uh, that's, that's, and the G-forces are, when you're going at a certain speed and you make a turn, uh, or let's say, you know, when they're on a rocket, and of course that rocket's moving up and it's pushing against you, that's what the G-forces are. We're going to pass out, humans pass out at about five or six. So we can't take that much either. So this physical object being able to move the way it did doesn't make sense to us. It would have disintegrated by any sort of, uh, you know, materials that we're aware of. Also, it would have sent out, it would have used huge amounts of energy to be able to create those sort of speeds and, and maneuvers, which also weren't exhibited. So really what they witnessed makes no sense to the laws of physics as we understand them. So really everybody's at a loss as to what the heck this could have been or how it did what it did. Has the Air Force attempted to exp- – go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, which, which is why the U.S. government is looking into it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that this is what they want. They, they want to figure this out so – they can try and, and recreate it for, for, for us. So they claim that they, that they can't account for it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm always doubtful. Whenever the government says something, it, to me, it's like a game of chess, right? There are always two moves ahead. Um, have you heard any information that they're privy to what it was or they have, they have a theory as to what could stop and start without slowing down and what could move so fast? Without, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. What, what, do, what do they there think it could possibly theory. be? Yeah. If you go, at, there are theories to the stars. Essentially, that ATIP organization Lou Elizondo began, was part of. There were scientists who wrote some theoretical papers about, and the science is way over my head. Uh, these ideas of, you know, being able to bend space-time type of stuff, uh, that this is kind of what it could have been doing. So there's a lot of speculation somehow trying to create these, these like a bubble around it that, that manipulates space time so it doesn't, isn't subject to the same forces of gravity and everything that we are. But we really don't know. We also don't know what the military or the government really knows either. Uh, and it's twofold. First of all, Lou Elizondo, who ran the program, he doesn't know what others know. He doesn't know what other groups are out there or what they've done. But even with his own group, ATIP, and who he worked with to do this analysis, we don't have that information either. Lou has always said he's not going to share classified information because he's, he's you know, got an oath to that. But he's also not going to show or share information he's aware of that other departments have because that's not for him to share. Even if it's unclassified, it's for them to share. And so a big part of what Two of the Stars is doing and we see this a lot in the next episode of Unidentified, is going to all of these places and telling these guys, look, you know, we've done it. We've brought out these pilots. We've been in the news. You don't have to be worried about being made fun of. The people want to know. They should know. You need to share what you know. And uh, that's a big part of what they're doing. They're, they're talking about greasing the wheels. It's not their job to share all this information, but what they can do is try to talk to the people inside so they share that information. So hopefully we'll find out some more. George Knapp from KLAS, as I mentioned earlier, 
he's been leaking a lot of government documents. And one of those government documents is an analysis of this Nimitz situation. And it is pretty interesting because they do speculate along the lines of things like maybe that was a large underwater craft that uh, this thing was near, why they saw that bubbling water uh, that this object came out of. But there's also some other information uh, in Unidentified, we talked to another, we saw from another couple of radar operators, one of whom said he noticed one of these objects on radar go underwater and cruise at, a, at the same speed and then come out of the water. And Elizondo says they've got other cases where that same thing has happened. Uh, it's kind of a multi-medium ability. We don't know how to do that. I mean, something splash into the water and then fly thousand miles an hour and fly out of it. I mean, just a lot of really extreme, strange stuff. So it seems as though they're at a loss as well. And you bring up a very, very important point, which I'd like to stress, is that, you know, I've known some very credible and believable believable and sober people who claim to me um, in private that they've seen UFOs and paranormal phenomena. But they're afraid to come out and tell anyone because they don't want to be labeled as a crazy conspiracy theorist or a nut, or they don't want to be called insane. And I think that it's very, very important that the more people feel emboldened to come out with their stories, the more we could learn about this. And and yes, there will be people who might be seeking attention and, and, and will fabricate stories, but you get that with any phenomenon. Um, and, you know, I mean, you're always going to have the, a liar in the room. But I, I just have a feeling right. that there's so many people who haven't come forth with their stories because they don't want to be met with skepticism. And I, I think that, you know, You're this right. building awareness is just, it's, it's very, very important that people feel emboldened. Right. Even in that report that I just mentioned that George Knapp leaked and then Fravor and others acknowledged that that was a real report of this Nimitz event, that Fravor and others described when they got back to the aircraft carrier their intelligence officers and others that met them with tinfoil on their head. <laughs> and people were laughing about it, making fun of it. And some people got really upset. They were, they were not cool with being made fun of just because they had this experience. But you can understand because of seeing others go through that ridicule, I'm sure there were other people who said, well, I'm not going to say nothing if I see something again. And I've talked to military witnesses who have said that. We didn't report it. Are you kidding? We didn't want to be made fun of. Uh, and in fact, one of the radar operators who said, you know, he saw the, the object go under the water on radar, said there were other radar operators in the room. And I contacted them to see if they would come out as well. And they all said, hell no, they're not talking about it. Wow. Well, well so let me ask you this. Now that the genie's out of the bottle... Now that, you know, it's it's proven well-known and documented fact that our government um, had uh, this this program where they were studying paranormal activity for years um, and investigating UFOs and all this stuff. Now that now that the genie's out of the bottle, what is their explanation for covering it up or what are they saying they're looking for or what what is what is the, the state of the union on that as far as the government is concerned? Well, they haven't said a lot, and, it, and it's sort of interesting. The Navy has said that uh, we do take these things seriously, and we're writing up policy to make sure that everybody does take it seriously. But we're not going to share with you what that policy is. 
and they said that we and the Air Force do take this seriously. It's nice to say, and I hope they do, but that's not what they've been telling us for the last few decades. Uh, I interviewed Nick Pope, that guy I mentioned who worked for the Ministry of Defense recently, and he said this. He said, we can't remember that if that New York Times article wouldn't have come out, they would still be telling us that they don't care about UFOs, they don't investigate them, and wouldn't have anything to do with it. And if you were to ask them before that article came out, let's say you made a request in November of 2017, you would have been told that too. So even though they're they're playing nicer, they uh, still would, you know, it's only because their hand has been forced, kind of like what you've talked about. And essentially, that's all they've said. They haven't really spoken to it any further. We don't know what sort of analysis they've done in the past, what sort of research they've done in the past. We don't know any of that still, and they're not sharing any of that information as of yet. So we'll find out. Uh, we do know that, uh, you know, the, it, these guys have been to D.C. There have been people on the defense committees who have uh, asked for briefings uh, in Congress and, and received those. Now we know the president at, received, at least received a very short uh, briefing uh, on the whole subject. So hopefully that will get some more movement. But that's what's really exciting is this story is unfolding right now. Well, you know, and you know, not to mention one of the most one of the most important things is what they what they haven't mentioned is who they feel or or who they've discovered is behind the wheel of these things. Well, you know, there they, was an interesting. No, they haven't come out. Go ahead. I was going to say there was an interesting conversation on an article called or in a magazine called Task and Purpose, which covers defense where one of their guys was kind of like just talking about this and how wild it is and talking about, well, is it Russian and Chinese technology? And, you know, nobody can completely rule that out yet, although that is far-fetched as well because of the nature of the, the maneuvers. But uh, a Navy rep said, it could be. We still haven't ruled out completely that these are Chinese or Russian drones. And then the, this guy got the only statement we've gotten thus far from the Air Force, the only time that they've chimed in. But they chimed in, a spokesperson, to respond to that and said, we actually don't think there's any way the Chinese or the Russians could have a drone like that. It would have to be too big. It would have to move so fast. So uh, we doubt that these were Chinese drones or Russian drones. That was all their statement said. But it, it's a pretty shocking statement. They were essentially telling the Navy that even we're even more skeptical that these were our tech than you are. Well, you know, these things happen in small increments, right? So, I mean, I'll take what I can get as far as their the fact that they've admitted that they don't know what this is. That to me speaks volumes uh, to the fact that there is evidence of unidentified flying objects. I mean, it's official, you know, and, you know, obviously, I believe that there's a lot more that they're not telling us. I do believe that they have, uh, a lot more theories that we're not privy to. But um, I don't know. As far as them finally admitting that there are UFOs, I'll take what I can get. Exactly. I mean, it's really exciting. And and the implications are, are what we're seeing, that, you know, this coverage is being taken very seriously. And, uh, and now, you know, we are having more people come forward. So, for instance... You know, this Friday on Unidentified, and I've got at OpenMinds.tv some uh, clips that History Channel has already released of these younger jet fighter pilots who had this experience in 2015. 
And uh, now they've been encouraged to come out, which is extremely helpful, as we'll see in the show, and share their experience, which was very similar to uh, the 2004 experience. In 2015, off the coast of Florida, these guys are doing uh, exercises, uh, another aircraft carrier strike group, and uh, they are getting all of these objects on radar. They are zeroed in on some of them, but they they can't find anything when they get there. Um, and finally, during one of these incidents, uh, one of these objects zips right in between two of the jets that were something like 100 feet apart. That freaked the pilots out. That's when they said they took this very seriously because these objects came very close and thus, you know, are jeopardizing their safety. Uh, they described this object as kind of like a clear beach ball with a black cube inside of it. Uh, really strange. They uh, then were dispatched to Tehran, Iran, and uh, they said that they received contacts there, too. So it seemed as though whatever this phenomena was had followed them from Florida to Tehran. So internationally, now we have a consensus that this is going on. I mean, I just think this is this is great news to our entire community, Um, you know, thinking about this and and pondering this and uh, concentrating on this. And uh, I, you know. And guys, you know, we're we're at the hour mark and uh, I just I can't tell you how much I enjoy this hour and how much I, I really appreciate you guys taking this uh, kind of time with us into, uh, you know, to educating our listeners on something that they would never have the opportunity to have heard about anywhere else. So, guys, if you could, you know, each of you take a moment and tell us again where they can find more about about you and about everything we've been discussing. Yeah, I've been covering this extensively at openminds.tv for actually many years now, uh, a lot of these players. So Open Minds TV, you can find that out. But if you want to meet a lot of these people in person and hear from them directly and even uh, be involved with Q&As where you can ask them questions, then you're going to want to be at the UFO Congress in September. And you can just go to ufocongress.com. Wow. So people are going to be able to... I'm always easy... No, I just, I just, for Alejandro, yeah, real quick. Front. Yeah, yeah. So, so Alejandro, people are actually going to be able to come see and speak with in a, doing a Q&A session one-on-one, their own personal questions to eyewitness, eyewitnesses of UFOs. Well, other eyewitnesses, so Kevin Day will be there. Unfortunately, we don't have any of the pilots scheduled to be there at this time, but they will get to talk to Kevin Day. Uh, others who have seen UFOs or, or researched them, and uh, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell will be there who oh, have wow. been covering this also in documentaries and books. That's incredible. And again, ladies and gentlemen, openminds.tv, like I said, I've spent all week there every night uh, you know, browsing the site and, and, and looking at the links and the articles. Uh, you got to go there for more information. And uh, Dave Altman, uh, how can they find out more about you and what, what you're up to? Um, they can go to, uh, the agency website, which is conventionsetc.info and, uh, um, always available on Facebook. You just have to search my name, Dave Altman, A-L-T-M-A-N. And my Twitter is Fortean Jedi. So it's at F-O-R-T-E-A-N. J E D I 
that's a, that, Jedi. That's that's awesome. And Alejandro, what's your Twitter? Oh, Twitter, it's Alejandro T. Rojas. So I'm super active on Twitter, uh, talking about all this stuff and sharing UFO news that's happening, uh, you know, day by day, hour by hour. So Alejandro T. Rojas. Um, well, gentlemen, thank you so much again for this hour, man. This is uh, this has been awesome. And uh, again, I'm so happy that Novak couldn't make it because we, <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to do this. So uh, <laughs> thank you guys oh, so oh, much. Thank, thank you uh, so much. Let me, let, me, let me just say something uh, before I forget. Yeah. Uh, will I be seeing you uh, in Pennsylvania, in Gettysburg? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We have a, uh, a, a Gettysburg. What is it? What, what kind of convention is this, CJ? It is a yeah, creature it's feature. Yeah, uh, Texas. It's the Texas. Uh, not Texas. Uh, it's the. Uh, <laughs> it's the Frightmare Frightmare Weekend. Well, there's a Texas Fright. That's why I I, I, I got it confused. But um, yeah, it, it's in. It is August thirtieth, I believe, and yep. uh, Novak. And Corey Feldman uh, and a whole bunch of other celebrities uh, just confirmed the other lost boy, uh, Jameson, um, who played uh, the other frog brother in the Lost Boys. Uh, he'll also be there. So it's like a little uh, Lost Boys reunion. Everybody can come out and meet him and get pictures and autographs and uh, we'll, we'll be out there. Uh, thanks again for setting that up, Dave. And uh, man, you must have a blast doing all this stuff. Or is it? Uh, is it? Is it? Is it more stressful than it is a blast? <laughs> uh, it depends. Usually with Corey, it's it's very stressful. Um, <laughs> or but, when you, you have know, Corey and so CJ t- and Novak drinking in their booth <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that was uh, that was an interesting. Uh, weekend that was man that was years ago what was that like uh almost 10 years ago it's been a while wait had to be had to that that, that had to be that was yeah that was in atlantic city yeah and that was uh bizarre uh, ac that was after i had just yeah yeah because i had just i was actually living with Corey. i think a month up until before then and i had moved out of Corey's, and i had gotten away from him moved to florida and then I get a call to go to New Jersey to go be with Corey and work. So yeah, that was a good weekend. God, you had you had to book Novak for appearances while he before he was sober when and and he would get lists on the yeah. rules he couldn't break, and then that became his list of things to do for that day. Um, God, I, I've I've had to book Novak on some tours. So anyway, well, we are digressing. Uh, we're gonna have to have you back just to ask about uh, what a fuck up Novak was. So anyway, gentlemen, uh, thank you so yeah. much again for everything. Um, Alejandro, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. All right, gentlemen, travel safe and uh, good day. <laughs>